Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, Day 26. You knew this day would come. After yesterday's going toe-to-toe, head-to-head, cheek-by-jowl and eye-to-eye with your close personal long-time writing demon, it's time for me to temporarily turn you loose to do whatever you damn well please. So, today's 10 minutes is the second of your free, unplanned, self-directed sessions. And again... I feel sufficiently fragile in my identity as a writing teacher to mount a short defence of what might be viewed as a cop-out on my part, an abnegation of responsibility in a cheap filler exercise. I want you, when our 100 days together are up, or indeed before that, if you decide you don't want to go on and finish the course, I want you to have learned to trust yourself, to have a degree of informed, rational faith in your ability to turn up and be creatively self-directed. That yes, you can respond to a diverse range of writing assignments with courage, ingenuity and flexibility, but that you can also call upon what I tentatively call meta-creative skills, that is, the ability to be creative about how you create. Because fiction writing isn't just about figuring out how do I do story good. You also have to invent and then choose between the projects themselves. What should you spend time on and in what proportions? When you sit down at your laptop or notebook, where should you start? Do you need to do anything to preheat the old creative oven? Is your creativity best served by working on one project at a time from beginning to end? Idea, plan, first draft, revision, feedback, final draft, publication, next idea, over and over in that sequence, sitting in the same room week on week, months on months. For some people, that routine works really well. It gives some much-needed predictability. For others, not so much. Is it important to live the same routine outside your writing hours? And I know it sounds like I'm asking leading questions there, right? Luring you into bellowing, no, I shall live in a treehouse and only write when the crystals in my storm glass form shapes resembling figures from the golden age of cinema. That's actually not my intent to say, oh, if you use routines, you're boring and you must be continually wacky and outre routine the template of a way of doing things can be really powerful in my experience it can take away some of the cognitive burden of having to decide what you're going to work on and how and all that sort of nonsense you don't always want to be making every single decision that you face in an original way only some of those decisions matter at any one time you know in the same way like most of the time if you go and you meet a friend for dinner and you go somewhere to eat. You don't want every aspect of the dining experience that you share to be innovative and unique. You don't especially want contortionist waiters who approach you in a backwards crab walk like the girl off The Exorcist with the wine list clenched between their leotarded bum cheeks. You, You don't want the price of each dish to be determined by your performance in a complicated carnival sideshow game. You don't want every item on the menu, including the desserts, to be made from mechanically reclaimed ham. And look... In case you're thinking, well, actually, that does sound quite fun, Tim. I'm not saying there's not room for a bit of theatre in one's dining experience for ringing the changes every once in a while. These innovations are subtly rippling out through the dining industry all the time, right? But it's also good that eating out has tropes, right? It has cliches almost, which you can rely on. Like you become literate with the expectations and culture of eating out. So a lot of it feels 
automatic and you can focus your finite mental resources on important decisions like what you would like to eat and catching up with your friend. We have to, to a certain extent, pick our battles when it comes to decision making in the creative arts. Each time you sit down at your laptop, you don't want to be having to expend loads of time and energy deciding, do I want to continue with this project? Should I stop and start something new? What else could I be writing about? What if I changed this so it was all in the second person? Should I spend the morning doing warm-up exercises instead so I'm better prepared to write this final project? Would I be better off writing maybe historical fiction or science fiction? Should I be writing at all today? Or do I need to spend more time reading and researching? So when I come to write this piece, it's going to be as good as it can be. Look, you have, I'm afraid to say, limited cognitive power. That's not a dig. It's just a part of being human. Your attention and focus are resources and your brain consumes glucose when you're concentrating intensely and especially when you're worrying or threatening or trying to predict threats. That's part of what I hope you're discovering through this course, actually, that when someone digs some grooves for you, when they say, you don't need to worry about what you're going to be doing today, I've sorted that out, just get to work. When someone digs those grooves and plots a course for you to pilot your little ship down, suddenly all of this energy becomes available to you because you were using that, right? You were using that up in making those decisions to begin with. You you thought you didn't have any willpower. You thought you didn't have any willpower, uh, any ideas, much capacity for turning up and writing at all, frankly. But it turns out you do. You always did. You're just burnt out from constantly wrestling, solving and resolving these meta-creative questions of what, where and how. I hear this a lot chatting with psychologists interested in computational learning theories and ed- AI developers. There is a reason I've been talking to them. They're they're not just my colleagues. I've been researching a book. But if our goal is to finish a novel, right, then the value of sitting down to write today, now, the predicted reward from that is entirely dependent on subsequent decisions we make in the days and weeks and months that follow. Because if you don't have confidence that you're going to make optimal decisions in the future, in this case, continuing to work on your novel in a brilliant way until such point as it's completed, then the value of working on it now, today, is hugely diminished, right? If you if you are not confident that you might not give up in future, then you've got to say that must affect your estimation of what the value of working on it now is. Just like, say you're designing a drone that you want to be able to autonomously pop down the shops for a pint of milk. And one rule you want that drone to internalise very quickly is don't fly into moving vehicles or human beings. Because if it does that, aside from the hazard to other people, it's going to damage itself and drop the milk. And its quest to go out and get a pint of milk and bring it home is over, right? That that would be a failure. So it's got to avoid those things. So you want it to be reasonably conservative when it comes to balancing risk with speed. Uh, you want it to try and pick an optimal course, ideally, so it gets there and back in a reasonable time, but to prioritise keeping safe, because that aspect is, is zero sum. If the drone crashes, the fact that it shaved five seconds off its route earlier is all for naught. So assuming that this is a drone that learns dynamically through doing, it's going to fly out, observe behaviours from cars and people in its environment, infer safe patterns and follow those safe patterns. You could even create a fleet of milk-getting 
aerial drones capable of sharing data, even taking in-flight reports from drones that crashed into buses or from flying too close to people and incorporating that into the rest of the fleet's calculations. But there's a problem. How safe is safe? How much risk should a drone take? So to cut a long story short, because this is a metaphor of something, I'm not just talking to you about autonomous uh, drones, as fascinating as my nerdy heart and mind find the topic. To cut a long story short, there is a big problem in AI called aversive clipping, where bots learn rules from single instances. So maybe one day a human threw a rock at one of the drones and knocked it out of the air. So the fleet learns the rule, don't fly within 30 feet of humans. They might throw a rock at you, which sure enough reduces the number of rock-related crashes to zero, but makes it nearly impossible to buy a pint of milk now because you would have to come within 30 foot of a human. So the problem is, right, when we do a behaviour, we are not just doing the behaviour. We're also getting statistical data on that behaviour that we plug back into our model of the world because the drones no longer fly near human beings in this example. They're not actually getting good data that shows that actually most human beings don't throw rocks at drones. So... It is so unlikely, it's not worth building a whole avoidant behaviour around it, right? If you're not careful, you end up with neurotic drones that have learned so many rules about avoiding hazards that they can't leave the depot. By now, I hope it's clear why I think this is relevant. When we write, we're not just writing. We're also building a model in our heads of what it's like to write. What the experience of writing consists of. What bits of writing make us feel good, what bits make us feel bad. And we quite unconsciously, and not unreasonably, try to spot patterns, precursors, to figure out how to make our experience of writing contain more of the good and less of the bad. Perfectly rational, right? And, and potentially disastrous for creativity. Because like the drone, in fact, horribly, embarrassingly like the drone, each time you sit down, you can run back through the flight data from hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of previous milk runs. Oh, when I tried doing this, writing this way, it made me feel bad. Oh, when I wrote this way, I ended up throwing away 30,000 words. Oh, when I shared this thing I put my heart and soul into with my teacher, stroke parents, stroke reading group, stroke partner, they looked bored, they said something cutting, I could tell they didn't like it. And we tried to figure out the rule and we tried to make sure we never run into that problem again. Well, look, I am here to tell you that sometimes... Often, in fact, you will crash into power lines. A seagull will try to mate with you. A lightning bolt will descend from a clear blue sky and strike you out of the air. If you leave the depot, there is no way round this. But wouldn't it be a shame to just sit there when you were built to fly? I'm not asking you during this course not to feel pain, not to feel vulnerable, not to feel disappointment when your writing doesn't go as you'd hoped quite the reverse. I'm asking you to consider, to the extent to which you feel ready, embracing those feelings as a healthy, essential and in part enriching part of your... I'm asking you to consider, to the extent to which you are ready, embracing those feelings as a healthy, essential and in fact enriching part of creativity and of life. Now, as I've said, sometimes, often even, you're going to focus your energy by committing in a certain direction. Like I say, you can wear yourself out spinning your wheels, worrying each time you sit down whether maybe this wouldn't be better if you wrote it in the first person, if maybe you made a plot error in the last chapter and you should go back and fix it, if maybe that other idea you had for a story mightn't be a better choice. All of these questions boil down to the fundamental one. 
Am I writing the right story? Sounds silly, but I worry about that almost every day. And it can drive you bananas, like there's a true purpose singing at a pitch just beyond your range of hearing. If only you could hear it. But remember that the act of writing is also an act of learning. So for most of the time, we just have to take a decent guess with the information we have right now, then start marching in that direction, understanding that we can't have 100% certainty, but the data isn't going to get any better unless we start moving, unless we write this thing and find out. But also, and like I've been saying throughout the course, I'd, I'd rather hit the nuances of this than send you off with easy slogans. Sometimes at key points in your journey, it is okay to stop and ask, where am I going? What would happen if I rewrote this in the first person? What would happen if I if I wrote it from a completely different point of view? Those are cool, creative, important, interesting, perfectly rational, reasonable, even useful questions. They're just, you know, they're divergent, generative. And if you don't give yourself permission to occasionally put them aside to understand there's a time and a place and you can't always be dealing with them, they can end up generating loads of anxiety because they just produce more work than you can ever deal with in a lifetime. But we're here again, look, uh, at another of these way stations, little inns at the side of the road. Today I'm going to give you 10 minutes to write about whatever you want in whatever style you want. Next time I'm going to give you even less instruction than I am now because it's important to me that this is you practising being self-directed, checking in with your own intuition and needs, valuing those things. I know intuition gets a bad rap. It certainly has often from me. Think of the term as being a bit wishy-washy. But when it's in a domain that you've been practicing in for days and days and weeks and weeks, then intuition is less about sort of fudging things and more about keying into some sort of informal knowing that is probably informed by quite a lot of experience and is reasonably accurate, right? Look, look, look for today... For what it's worth, you know, I don't want to give you too many suggestions, but you could expand on one of the exercises we've already done. If there was one that you kind of like quite enjoyed that you felt like you'd want to go back and have another crack at or you wanted to finish off, you, you could journal about how you're feeling about the course so far. You could write a little character piece or start off a story. You could reflect on what I've talked about to, in today's episode or you could just make up your own exercise if you wanted. You might even have a project buzzing around in your mind or one you're currently working on that you've put aside or some vague ideas you haven't quite touched yet or you could brainstorm ideas around that or maybe draft a synopsis or list some titles or, or, or try writing the first page or maybe something else entirely. I, I've already led you by the nose a bit too much and that's my anxiety, not yours. You know, the main thing is take a few moments to have a think about what you'd like to do or even take the first minute once the timer starts to decide, you know, no rush and then write until I ring the gong. How's that? Sound okay? Right. Good luck. I hope you have a lovely time. Three, two, one. Off you go.
And there you have it. I hope that was okay for you. As always, you might like to reflect on how you felt before, during, and how you feel now. We often spend a lot of time resisting writing, so I think in the name of good data science, it's worth checking how well our expectations of what writing is going to feel like match up with reality when we actually do. So tomorrow we'll be back on our regular programme of super prescriptive writing exercises where I set up a bunch of hoops and challenge you to jump through them, continuing these ideas of character and point of view and seeing how those transform a story. Right, take care of yourself. Well done. You did ace. I'll see you tomorrow. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.